Brother Menz, where will you do the exorcisms? I was the featured speaker at a full gospel businessman's meeting in Toronto, Canada, some years back. It was in the early days of the charismatic renewal, and I hadn't had much experience in the more dramatic manifestations of the Spirit. Of course, I'd read about them in the Bible. I'd heard about people giving testimonies about undergoing exorcisms and being delivered from the grip of evil spirits, but I'd never actually seen or done one. But the man was insistent. Brother Mims, where will you do the exorcisms? And then I offered one of those quick help me prayers. You know those kind of prayers? And then I said, I will do the exorcisms wherever and whenever the Lord chooses. Well, that satisfied the man, and I was relieved that the Lord had mercy on me and did not choose that day. <laughs> Since then, however, I have seen a number of people delivered from evil spirits, not very often, sometimes quietly, sometimes noisily, but no question, God is still in the exorcism business. God loves to set people free from all kinds of bondage. Now, today's gospel lesson describes the first of four exorcisms in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus had called his first four disciples. They traveled to Capernaum, which located on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee and would become, as you know, the center for his ministry. I visited Capernaum. Angela and I have been there a number of times during our various shorish study trips. And in addition to being a beautiful place, which it still is, Capernaum was a very strategic location. It was situated on the Via Maris, the Roman road, uh, that was one of the greatest roads of the ancient world. It led from Damascus through Galilee down to Egypt, and so therefore connected Europe to Africa. It was kind of the main highway that connected those two great landmasses. And Jesus could not have chosen a more critical location. Now, this particular exorcism followed a fairly typical pattern. First, the possessed man attempted to resist the power of Jesus as he cries out, What do you want with me, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, see, this man is, at this point is still under the control of a hostile spirit, and even the words that he speaks are not his own. And interestingly, the title, Holy One of God, is only used three times in the Gospels, and, of course, acknowledges that Jesus is the one who is consecrated by God. Well, then next, Jesus commands the spirit to be silent and leave the man whose life it controls. As it leaves, the man shakes and screams, but then all is quiet and he is set free. You know, I witnessed something very similar some years back. I was leading a Sunday night service at Emmanuel Church in Stamford, Connecticut, it was an informal service, and during the peace, we would often invite people to stand up and introduce themselves and say a bit of how they kind of got connected to us. That particular evening, I had noticed a man at the back of the church who was kind of being rather disruptive. He was walking around backwards and forwards and talking to himself. Now, this is before the days of mobile phones, which, of course, makes talking to yourself perfectly acceptable. Uh, but he was clearly uh, troubled. I asked him his name. And he shouted, my name is Legion. And then he began to shout vile and disgusting things about me and the congregation, about the Lord. And without a moment's hesitation, I responded, 
in the name of Jesus, be quiet. Now, I said it in a way that actually surprised me. Uh, and the man stopped immediately. Never said another word, and the service continued. Now, it's never happened to me quite like that again. But at that very moment, I knew that I was speaking with all of the authority of God. I just knew it. Now, from time to time, I've tried to do the same thing with my children <laughs> uh, and grandchildren, and it's never quite worked. So it, it only kind of seems to be when the Lord dictates. Well, the people in Capernaum were amazed at what they'd witnessed. What is this? A new teaching? And with authority? You see, because the Jewish teachers would always be referring to something else. But Jesus said, thus saith the Lord. I mean, he was just kind of out there doing it. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, you may remember that his cousin John heard about some of these things and sent two of his disciples with a question. Now, are you the one? Who was to come, or should we keep looking for another? By this time, Jesus had cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and had given sight to many who were blind. And so he replied to these messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. See, today's exorcism story is much more than an extreme example of Jesus' pastoral heart. It's one of the distinguishing marks of, that authenticated him as the Messiah. When he first went to Nazareth after his 40 days in the wilderness, he read from the prophet Isaiah. It's recorded for us in Luke chapter 4. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. Now, see, everybody there in that synagogue would know that that is kind of like what we might call the messianic job description. That is the one called the Messiah. That's what he's to be about. But it's much more than that. See, it also describes the call and work of those who are to be his disciples. That's you and me. So what you've just heard, I'm going to read it again, because it is your job description. So let me make sure you've got it straight. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That, friends, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, is your job. Now, let's just open it up a bit. First of all, notice... It is the Spirit anointed Jesus. He was filled with the Spirit of God. And if we want to be his disciples to do his work, we need that same Spirit. We cannot do it on our own strength. But the good news is that we, we can have the very same Holy Spirit. It is available to each one of us. That was the miracle of Pentecost, of course. When the, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all people. Now, in earlier days... And those of you who know your Bibles know that in the Old Testament, there are times when the Spirit of God fell on particular individuals and anointed them for that particular task. But the change now is that the Holy Spirit is available to everyone. Remember how we heard that text, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and even people like me or old will dream dreams. I like to think we can do more than just dream, we can actually do some stuff. But nevertheless, that Holy Spirit, even on my servants, 
This is kind of the folks that people ignored. Both men and women, be sure you hear that. I will pour out my spirit in those days. See, that's the profound shift from, was one of the shifts from the Old to the New Testament. Now the Holy Spirit is available to everyone. Now, as I'm sure you know, spirituality is very popular these days. Everybody likes to be spiritual. They're not quite sure they're Christian, but spiritual is what they want. Which I find quite fascinating at a time when we're seeing some of the most exciting developments in computer technology, artificial intelligence, science is pushing back all kinds of boundaries, and yet there is still a hunger for the spirit. But, a warning, there are lots of different spirits. And people are opening themselves up to spiritual forces that can destroy them. We need to take that seriously. So, we need to be, first of all, sure, is it the spirit of Christ? Is it the Holy Spirit? How do we actually tell? You know, actually, in the 79 prayer book, which is not altogether bad, some people complain it's completely bad, I find it some, some good places, the, especially the, uh, the catechism. And it actually anticipates this very question. Let me read a section to you. How do we recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Big question. Well, we, it says, the answer, we recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, are brought into love and harmony with God and with ourselves and with our neighbors and with all creation. Next question. How do we recognize the truths taught by the Holy Spirit? We recognize truths we're taught by the Holy Spirit when they are in accord with the Scriptures. So that's a great test. If someone says, well, the Spirit of God told me to do this, and it's clearly at odds with Scripture, and the Spirit of God... I remember one year in the early years, this man told my rector, he said, well, the Spirit of God's told me I need to divorce my wife. She's not very spiritual, you see. And uh, Terry Fulham said to him, where in the Bible does it say that? In fact, it says the opposite. This is just your selfishness speaking, not the Spirit of God. So he went away somewhat rebuked. See, so we can actually test to be sure that it's the Holy Spirit by, one, the witness of, to Jesus the Christ, the Holy Spirit will always acknowledge Jesus as the Lord. Two, the fruit of our lives, especially in our relationships. So to be truly spiritual is not to be obnoxious. I've discovered some people think that I'm very spiritual, I just can't stand people. Uh, <laughs> you know, not true. And third, that it agrees with Scripture. So that's the test, if you like, to make sure it's the Holy Spirit. Notice, you see, there is an objective reference point. Being truly spiritual is not merely a subjective experience. It is not just about us and how we feel. It is connecting ourselves with the Spirit of Christ, and it changes everything. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit, and that's where we must begin. But it's not just anointed just for the sake of it. We are anointed with a purpose. Now, what's that first? Remember that? He has, was to preach good news to the poor. Interesting. that The first mark of the Messiah's ministry is that he is anointed to preach good news to the poor. And these were the people in that society that were marginalized, and there were a lot of people that were pushed to the sides. The men and women that nobody cared about, the unwanted children, the pregnant teenagers, the homeless derelicts, the immigrants, the outcasts, the, the single mothers, the housebound elderly, the people dying in Afghanistan, and the, the children in Haiti. And in case you're thinking I'm pushing that text too far, let me direct you to Jesus' own interpretation of the verses in the verses that follow. Jesus said to them a kind of fascinating little story. Just listen to it. 
There were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. And yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. You see, what was happening here is they were asking Jesus to show them a few miracles, but he would not swallow the bait. Instead, he told them these two famous Old Testament stories, both that made the same point. You know, Jesus is about reaching the unreached, the uncared for, the marginalized. He's not just our little genie in a bottle. Remember those, that old country song? I got my plastic Jesus on the dashboard of my car. I won't try to sing it. But uh, is that kind of said, he's just for us. Oh, no. He's anointing us so we can reach out to people beyond that we need to bless. You know, last week was sadly the 45th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, a day when we remember again the sanctity of every human being, born or unborn, male or female, black or white, Gentile or Jew, slave or free, handicapped or high achiever. See, God has no favorites. But if God did have favorites, it would be the poor. And yet it's so hard for the church to remember this truth. It's so easy to slide into just kind of letting those folks just exist out on the, on the outer reaches. A friend of ours who served as a bishop of the Church of England challenged his diocesan leadership with this question. Why is it that in Jesus' day the poor and the powerless loved him and the privileged and the powerful hated him? Whereas today in the Church of England, those churches that cater to the middle and upper class are lively and growing, but the poor are nowhere to be seen. Why is it that? It's not that Jesus doesn't love everyone, but it does mean that we've got something wrong. What are we missing? Now, that's not just a question for the Church of England. It's a concern that we must all address. And my question to you and to me simply is this. Is my life and witness, is your life and witness, good news for the poor? I mean, do do we even know any poor? Do we actually express the love of God to them? Is the life, your corporate life, a servant of Christ? Is it good news for the poor? If it's not, then whose disciples are we? Okay, that's the first. Second thing Jesus came to do is to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Free at last. Now, what kind of prisoners? If Jesus meant all the people locked up in Roman jails, then this was a proclamation that was where it would have been a cruel joke. His ministry did not result in the abolition of the penal system and the emptying of all the prisons. But it did lead to something far more long-lasting. You see, there are far more people in prisons without bars than there are those in prisons with them. And Jesus came to proclaim freedom for people who are in bondage. All kinds of bondage. Bondage in addiction. Bondage to fear. Bondage to past hurts and hopelessness. Jesus came to set people free from the lies of the enemy who would have them believe that somehow their worth is a function of their ability or their attractiveness. And Jesus came to set men and women free from the cheap lie that that sex is merely something that you do and that babies are just valuable when 
they're convenient. Jesus is going to set people free from all kinds of, of lies and all kinds of sin, especially that sin of pride, the sin that places us above other people, the sin that is the most cruel prison of all because it closes us to the love of God and locks us away from one another. So Jesus came to set people free from that kind of prison. But that's not all. Jesus was also sent to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. Now, I know you as a church, and and we all rejoice in the promise of physical healing, but we must also acknowledge that there is a blindness that's got nothing to do with this, without these physical eyes. It's far more serious because it can lead to eternal separation. There is a blindness that is caused by the hardness of heart. It refuses to see the hand of God at work in the world around us and refuses to believe in his holy word. In our Old Testament lesson from Deuteronomy, we were reminded that those who claim to speak the word of the Lord have a solemn responsibility. If we speak a word that does not come from the Lord or one that comes in the name of the gods, we'll be severely punished. Actually, the passage actually declares that Paul's prophets would be put to death. In case you think this is just another example of Old Testament hyperbole, then remember what Jesus said about those who lead his children astray. It will be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone around his neck. And that's why the crisis that we've been struggling in in, this, in, in our church is so serious. You see, it's not just about issues of human sexuality, important as they are. It really is fundamentally about our attitude towards the Word of God. See, That word is to be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. But today many people are blind to God's revealed truth, and so they stumble in darkness and confusion. They are blind to the things of God. They don't see God's handiwork every day that gloriously work around us. And so they're lost in blindness. And we are to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. That's why this church takes seriously the word of God. You hear a lot of it every Sunday. You say, well, why do I hold that scripture? Well, you know what? It needs a seat within your bones so that it becomes part of how you think, changes the way you look at life. And we are to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. But it takes more than good wishes to be healed of this blindness. It also takes deliverance, which takes us right back to where we started. Jesus came to release the oppressed. Now, there are many oppressed people in this world. Some of them are oppressed by life situations that seem to be without hope. Some of them are oppressed by religion. It's true. And that was especially true in Jesus' day. And we heard reference to that in our second lesson. People were very religious. But their religion did not lead to freedom. Instead, it led to bondage and despair. And I believe we can see examples of that around the world today. Other people are oppressed by demonic forces. Whatever the source, a key mark of the Messiah's ministry, and therefore must be of our ministry, is deliverance from oppression. Now, some 25 years ago, Angela and Rachel and I were living in Fairfax, Virginia. And I was the rector of Truro Church and was able to start a ministry called the Lamb Center a day shelter for homeless people in Fairfax, Virginia. Now, so you may not think that there are actually homeless people in Fairfax. In fact, some of the town mothers and fathers were horrified when we did this. They said, there are no homeless people here. (laughs) There were, they just didn't see them. And there are homeless folks, desperate folks around us here. You know that. 
Anyway, we started this ministry, and last year, Angela and I and Rachel went back to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Land Center, and we heard lots of great stories. Paddy Brown, who's a dear friend and now serves as assistant director, told me about one story about a, a woman, a homeless woman, who had been coming to the Lamb Center, so hopelessly in bondage to alcoholism that she would come in and just sometimes just drop to asleep on the floor of the ladies' room. She'd exhausted all of her options with the social and medical services, and frankly, she seemed to be without hope. One day, the staff and volunteers decided to try another approach. She's lying there in the, in the ladies' room, and they gathered around her and prayed in the name of Jesus for her deliverance. And to their astonishment, it worked. She woke up. She was set free. She's no longer a guest at the Lamb Center. She's no longer in bondage because she was given a new life. Actually, that is what God wants for every one of us. Because you see, that final, the fifth mark of the Messiah's ministry is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that was a specific reference to some Jewish tradition. But I think it also reminds us of the fundamental message of the gospel, and that is that God does love everyone. He thinks everybody is of value. That there's no one that's been shunted out to the sides. That he looks upon people in a very different way from us. He doesn't kind of say, oh, they're with us and they're against us. We like those people, we don't like those people. That's the way we are as humans. But God looks at every person and says he wants to show favor upon everyone. And that's the good news. And that was a huge challenge for his listeners because, you see, they've got a world of you know, us and them, Jew, Gentile, slave-free. They were a world constantly recognizing the grand division, you know, Jews and Samaritans. Whatever it was, there was good guys, us, and there was the others. And we tend to slide into that. That's a part of our human condition. But we were, they were told it is the year of the Lord's favor on all people. That God wants to show favor, to show his love, to show his passion for every person. And frankly, that's still very hard for folks, sadly, especially church folks. Some years back, Billy Graham said that the most segregated hour in our nation's life is Sunday morning. What a tragedy. Issues have not really yet internalized this promise of the Lord's favor on all people. Now, I understand it. Yeah, I understand what it's like because we are much more comfortable with people who look like us. We're much preferred with folks who kind of speak our language, have our culture. It's hard to reach out to all sorts of people, especially those whose lives and lifestyle we don't kind of understand or particularly like. But that's why we've been given this challenge to be follower of Jesus is indeed to declare the favor of the Lord upon all people, all sorts of people. So let me go back and summarize your job description because this is what you've signed up for. The first is, under the Spirit of God, you have been called to proclaim good news to the poor. Second, you've been called to proclaim freedom for prisoners. You've been called to let people know they can have their eyes restored and see the hand of God at work in the world around them. Third or fourth, you've been called to release the oppressed, whatever kind of oppression. And finally, perhaps the most exciting call of all, we've been called to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That every person around us has got this 
special promise that God actually loves them just as they are and wants them to see them grow into the fullness of who he's called them to be. So that's your job description. It's impossible unless you've got the Spirit of God. But once you're under the Spirit of God, it's exciting to see this. And that's one of the great joys for, for Angela and me as we travel the world. We have seen these promises being lived out in the lives of all kinds of people. And it's thrilling. So I hope you're ready to sign up. Uh, if you're not, well, I'm going to pray that you will. Amen? Amen? Father God, I thank you and I bless you that this is a challenging job you've given to us. It's never finished until you come again. But right now, Lord, we want to acknowledge we are called to share in the Messiah's job description. We pray for your Holy Spirit to let us do it. All for Jesus' sake. Amen, amen. and amen. amen.